and welcome into the locker room. News Radio 610-KONA, Saturday morning, presented by Jason Hogue, agent with American Family Insurance. You can check out Jason's website at jasonhogue.com. Philly Rob and Jason with you. First show of the new year. Happy New Year to you, sir. And to you. And to you. A lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. Of course, uh, the NFL playoffs into round two after an interesting round one. Um, but the, the, the big news was the firing of Brian Schottenheimer as the offensive coordinator for the Seahawks. And it was an interesting decision made by Pete Carroll. Um as you look back on the loss to the Rams and you look back on the eh, maybe the last third of the season, more so than the last half, um, you know, Seahawks struggled a little bit in the second half of some games. Uh, the comments that were made after the Rams lost in the wild card by Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson both expressed some disappointment in how the offense played in the second half, uh, discussed the perceived lack of adjustments that were being made, um, and overall disappointment, of course, with the loss in the wild card. But Russell Wilson's comments, I thought, were were very interesting, considering he arguably had the best season of his career, um, and he's had the best couple seasons. He's had a pretty good run under Brian Schottenheimer as offensive coordinator. Um, you know, people began to use the letters MVP next to Russell Wilson's name with Brian Schottenheimer in the fold. And, you know, Wilson's comments, not only after that game, but also after the firing, I thought were interesting, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. I think that when you look over, um, I mean, there's a lot of things to unpack with with what happened with our season, Rob, um, and with the way the offense started very well, and then kind of sputtered you know, to the finish line um, this year. There, there's a lot of things to look at there. I, I, I think what what Russell was getting at, and, and this is what's going to be interesting in the off season, because I think what Russell was getting at is totally different than what Pete Carroll's getting at. Um, and to see, I think what Russell's trying to say is, is that hey, we started out good, but we kind of kept doing the same things we did the first eight, nine weeks of the year through the year, and we didn't really make a whole lot of adjustments. We kept trying to do what we were doing. Teams figured it out, and we didn't We didn't adjust on the fly. And Pete Carroll seems to be saying, we need to run the ball more and get back to doing what we used to do. The heck with this passing every down stuff. It's, that's kind of what I got out of that at a press conference. How about you? I mean, what do well, you think? Well, I, I, I mean, look, we, we know – and we've known since day one Pete Carroll's affinity for running the ball. Um, and, and look, the Seahawks, the greatest success the Seahawks had was when Marshawn Lynch was lining up behind Russell Wilson. So we know that Pete likes big running backs. He likes bruising running backs. And he likes to have an effective run game. And quite honestly, the Seahawks did have an effective running game in the first half of the season. You know, but again, why don't we come back to it? And, and to me, this is part of the issue, and it's it's the issue that, that really isn't being talked about. And that is the Seahawks have not done a good job in drafting running backs or finding running backs to be that consistent guy. You know, they Pete wants a workhorse. They've had running back by committee since Marshawn Lynch has retired, and most of that committee has spent a good time being hurt each and every year. And so 
when they finally figure out, and, and, and to me, you know, every guy they've drafted, there have been question marks about. You know, Rashad Penny's not the answer. Um, you know, Carson can't stay healthy. When he's healthy, he's effective, but all those injuries continue to mount. And so as you go on, they just continue to find another guy to plug in. So if you want a running game, you need to find a running back that is going to be that every down guy or that three quarters of the game guy that you're going to spell occasionally, but it's going to be your workhorse back. They, they, they haven't done a good job in, in finding that. John Snyder hasn't done a good job in finding that. Pete Carroll hasn't done a good job in finding that. So I know you want to run the ball, but here you have Brian Schottenheimer trying to keep an offense running, and half of his running backs are on the IR. Well, and it's and the running back is one piece of it, but generically speaking, to have an effective offense, you need to be able to affect the game at three different levels. Take the top off, right, so you can keep the safeties honest, Instead of cheating up, you need to be able to go deep. Have playmakers that can stretch the field. With with Lockett and Metcalf, Russell has those weapons. They exist. Um, next is a solid running game. Doesn't have to be a great, but a running game that can get you four yards, three to five yards every carry. And the, the Seahawks have that. Obviously, you need a quarterback to be able to do all this. But then you need that intermediate, which is n- most teams that have intermediate have a large wide receiver. Um, or it's a tight end. That and so because when you get into the red zone, everything condenses. DK Metcalf's ability to stretch the defense doesn't help you inside the ten. It doesn't help you once you get close. Seahawks have all kinds of big plays this year. Russell to Metcalf, Russell to Lockett, you name it. And what was happening at least most of the year was. You had more doing a little bit of that, but he's a herky-jerky guy. And so Metcalf and Lockett were also taking that responsibility because you didn't really have a great tight end that could get open over those. Or I mean, Carson was an okay receiver, but as you mentioned, he wasn't there a lot as a release valve. So that intermediate game, once you got inside the 20s, is kind of where Seattle struggled in moving the football. And a lot of the great teams and the good offenses – what separates them from an average offense is being able to put the ball in the end zone versus kicking a field goal. And you know, Seattle didn't do a great job of that the second half of the season. No, they didn't. But, you know, one of the reasons why they hired Brian Schottenheimer in the first place was to improve the passing game. Yeah, that was, their, that was a mistake. Because okay. if, lo- <laughs> if you look at his history, this is not a guy that has run prolific passing offenses. He runs, you know... It, Going back to his pedigree as a Kansas City guy, I watched his dad for the whole decade of the 90s, three yards in a cloud of dust, three right. yards in a cloud of dust, play action. That's outside of a small little window when they had Joe Montana. That's kind of what they did. And that's what Brian Schottenheimer does. I mean, he, he was Mark Sanchez. He was with the, you know, with the Jets. Those were not prolific offenses. He was with the St. Louis Rams for a little bit back when they weren't any good, you know, as, as an offensive coordinator. He wasn't when he was at Georgia. They just ran the ball with Gurley and and Chubb and those guys. They weren't a great prolific passing team. He's that's not been his pedigree. I understand he was trying to he was brought in to innovate, but and I I think ultimately what happened is is he had he he did innovate some plays in the beginning of the year, but once they figured it out, he couldn't go back to that well of 15 years of designing pass plays and designing offenses to. Keep going like a lot of the good offensive coordinators now are doing. 
you know, but here's the thing. Even though Schottenheimer's track record or his past was not necessarily um, in that in that realm, he did wind up significantly improving the Seahawks' passing game. I mean, Russell Wilson, you, you look at what Russell Wilson has accomplished under Brian Schottenheimer, and easily you have seen him excel. You've seen the deep ball as being a significant part of, of the Seahawks offense, something that you didn't have when Marshawn Lynch was behind was, was behind Russell Wilson. So th- they did have that improvement. But, you know, Russell Wilson's words after the game I thought were telling. But then after Schottenheimer was fired, he said, well, I wasn't in favor of it. But he still didn't say anything that really backed Schottenheimer up either. And it's like, well, you know, Pete makes those decisions. I, I'm just, I just get paid a lot of money to win football games. I don't really, you know, but I wasn't a fan of the decision, but Pete makes those decisions. Well, what, what, what I mean, dude, you're, you're, you're walking knee high in the water right well, now. And, and one, one thing NFL coaches, I mean, this is kind of to back up Pete Carroll, and I don't know where Russell is because I think Russell is, is all over the place with this. Oh, I, um, I agree with you, but then don't say anything. Right. I mean, Russell's kind of all over the place. I mean, and when you say Russell, like if you look at Russell basically every, like the, the way the season started, from the Atlanta game one through um, Buffalo, was almost every game was 300 yards. There was a couple games where he was in the twos, but basically it was right around 300 yards with three to four touchdowns. A couple games we had five touchdowns. It was that Arizona game where things started going south. It, yes. And after that, he only had one game where he threw for more than 250 yards after that. Um, he did have the game against the Jets where he threw the four touchdowns, but it was on you know 206 yards passing because they just you know blew the doors off the Jets. They didn't need to throw that much. Um so throwing that game out, outside of that, he they weren't doing well. His completion percentage was still decent. If you look at a lot of those games, like the Arizona game where the, you know, the, the wheels started to come off a little bit, um, he completed 82% of his passes, 23-28, 197. He just wasn't – they weren't able to get that deep ball going. They were still throwing the – I mean, they actually started throwing the ball significantly less the second half of the season. They started running the ball more. And so I don't know if that was Pete Carroll coming in and saying something after a couple losses there with Buffalo and the Rams in midseason, saying, okay, we're going to go back to what we used to do. I don't know. Because they did end the season strong once they – despite all that, they did end the season strong. Um, you know, they won six of their last seven. Granted, they weren't playing a ton of world beaters. But it just seemed to uh, – it was just two different teams. And I'm, I'm wondering what happened and what – Russell's talking about because if you look at the stats, they didn't throw the ball near as much the second half of the season as they did the first. No, you're absolutely right. We're going to take a quick time out here on the Locker Room News Radio 610 KONA. We come back. The Seahawks are looking for an offensive coordinator, but there's still four teams out there looking for head coaches. We'll tell you who's been hired where, who's still looking, and a local name that has emerged as a leading candidate to fill one of those positions. We'll talk about that when we come back. It's the Locker Room News Radio 610 KONA.
back to the locker room. News Radio 610 K1A. Happy Saturday morning. Philly Rob along with Jason. Presented by Jason Hogue, American Family Insurance. Make sure you visit Jason's website at jasonhogue.com. So there were seven head coaching jobs. Seven that were out there. Three have been filled. The Jets have hired former San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator Robert Saleh, and he will be bringing with him an offensive coordinator. It was a package deal, which is why there were a number of teams interested in Saleh. Brian LaFleur will be going with him to be the offensive coordinator. He is the younger brother of Packers head coach Matt LaFleur. Um, Also, the Falcons have found their new head coach, After parting with Dan Quinn, Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans, uh, will take the Falcons job. Uh, And the other job that has been filled, uh, and I am straining to recall which job that was. No, the Chargers haven't filled the job yet. Um, I thought thought they were going to get... uh... Um, Brian Dable. From, no, uh, Brian Dable is the leading candidate, but they uh, are okay. they Fine. are still uh, they are still playing, so they cannot uh, extend the offer to him until the Bills are out of the playoffs, and that is, of course, uh, provided that uh, he does wind up moving on and taking that deal. Um, uh, and Jacksonville hired Urban Meyer. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Why do we forget that one? Well, because I think it's going to be forgettable. Honestly, um, I, I think I think Urban Meyer. Here's the, here here to me is the issue with the with, with the Urban Meyer hiring, and and I'm going to just use history as a guide here, um, not just Urban Meyer's history, but the history of high profile college coaches. And and let's throw this out right now: Pete Carroll's not a college coach. Okay, Pete Carroll was an NFL head coach and an NFL coordinator for a number of years before he went to USC, and he installed a pro-style game at USC. So Pete Carroll is not a college coach that left the college ranks and and succeeded in the NFL. He was an NFL coach first. So Pete Carroll does not belong in that category, number one. Um, number two, there's a reason why College coaches don't make it at the NFL level. The greatest college coach ever walked away from the NFL because it wasn't for him, and that's Nick Saban. Steve Sperrier failed in Washington because Sperrier was on the golf course at 4 o'clock or napping in his office at 4 o'clock when he was the head coach of the Florida Gators. He wanted to do the same thing in Washington, D.C. You can't do that as an NFL head coach. It is a whole different game. Urban Meyer at the college level has had four to five years at each program, and when he has left, with the exception of Ohio State, because he wasn't there long enough, he has left every single program in shambles because he's not built those programs. He has walked in when those programs were on the upswing, and they brought his name in to try and be the icing on the cake. But when he has left, he has left those programs in shambles. There is no good reason to expect that Urban Meyer is going to build anything in Jacksonville. I actually have a little different take on Urban Meyer. Um, and I, Because I think Urban Meyer is one of the best leaders of men we have. I don't disagree with you in that regard, but uh, where, as a coach, it's Nick a different Saban, story. The, the difference, I think, between Nick Saban 
and Urban Meyer is. Nick Saban is all about discipline and execution. There's not a lot of motivation with Nick. It's just you better get it right because I'm going to go if, – if you don't, I'm going to go hire a coach or go get a, a, a player that's better than you. How's that working out for it's working out great in college because he, yeah. he is at a when, – when Nick Saban was at Michigan State, he was a good coach. Had the same thing. When he was at LSU, he was a really good coach. Yep. Nick Saban became a great coach at Alabama because why? Because he's able to have the best facilities, the best living conditions for his players, pay unlimited amounts of money to analysts and assistant coach Like the assistant coaches on Alabama's offensive and defensive coordinator – are making Pac-12 head coach money in a I, lot of cases. And, and, so th- those resources are infinite. Okay, but here's um, here's the only place that I'll disagree with you on that. Georgia has the same ability. Florida has the same ability. Correct. Uh, uh, LSU has the same ability. Yes. Every school in the SEC yes. has the same ability. But yet, yes. Nick. But yet, you look at the last dozen years. And they have ended with Nick Saban winning more national championships than not winning more national championships. 100% agree. So there he, is a those difference. Those programs, you're right, are on a same par. There's a difference with the man. I, I don't disagree with you. But what I'm saying is is that because Nick Saban, the way his discipline, I think, is far and away above anybody else, and he's a grinder above anybody else. When he got to the NFL, he found out that you can't just do that. Like you can't, like Nick Saban isn't like one of those guys that goes in and motivates a player to their best. He basically says, you better get better because there's a five-star coming next year that's going to take your spot. And if you don't, I'll, I'll roll with him. And doesn't get the best out of that. There's a lot of players every year that transfer in and out of Alabama because, it, it, because it's all about at the top. At the NFL level, you can't do that. You have an, everybody has the same salary cap. You have, you have the same access to players as everybody else. You don't have this built-in advantage of saying, hey, we're going to play for a playoff. Now, Urban Meyer had that at Ohio State. And so he's kind of on that. But what the difference is, is the second Urban Meyer showed up in his first few jobs, he took teams that were either not good or average and made them great within a year or two. Nick Saban did not do that at Alabama. He came into Alabama when they weren't very good, and he struggled his first two years. His first year, I think they barely were above 500 or right at, because he di- he because he didn't have the best players to go out execute people. He, it, until recently, did he finally change his offense to where they were kind of blowing people out? But he he's he wants to control things, and he's finally trusting his offensive coordinators a little bit to let them do their thing. So Nick is is a different breed than Urban. Urban has taken other people's players that weren't performing well and made them perform well. well actually, Nick has never really done that. Well, actually, in in his second season, his first season, uh, they finished seven and six. They went undefeated in two thousand and eight. Oh, in his second season, yes, they went okay, undefeated. So it was that first season that it, it, it took a little bit, and he had to weed people out and go out recruit. And this is not Alabama, despite struggling was still a very well-recruited, talented program. But it takes Nick a little bit. Everywhere, every stop, it takes him a little yeah. bit 
to get them where Urban has made them relevant They now, immediately. They went undefeated in the regular season. They lost in the SEC championship game. And then in 2009, they won the first national championship with him. So it was Correct. a it was a quick turnaround uh, when Saban got to Alabama. But also remember, he was coming in on the heels of Mike Shula, which was, which was an incompetence defined. I, I mean, Mike Shula was horrendous, and he he absolutely dest- practically destroyed that program. Well, it's a the, statement. The it it is a statement to Nick Saban that he walks in there, and in year two, they're twelve and zero, walking into the SEC championship game. I, I think that wrecking the program is a different definition of um, at Alabama than it is at. You know, other places, he um, he was not as bad at Alabama as like people would think that he was uh, an under five hundred coach. He was he was he wasn't. put it this way: Mike Saban got the job, or Mike Shula got the job because Dad bought a new library. Yeah, right. And it, his first year, he was four and nine. He went six and six, then ten and two, and then six and six. So let's not pretend like. There are you know, universities in this state that if they went, if they had that four-year run, sure. give the coach sure. a, but, a contract extension. You're right, but 10-2 is the anomaly. 10-2 right. is the anomaly for Mike Shula. He got a lucky one year. <laughs> I, I, what I, my, my point is is that he wasn't taking over a 1-10 you know, team that hadn't recruited this is still an Alabama team that was a top 15 20 recruiting destination during the Mike Shuley years. Okay. There was talent there and what I've seen from Urban Meyer and what I've seen in his he's he's, he's big in leadership. And the reason Urban Meyer leaves jobs is because he he gets in my opinion, he he basically works and grinds himself. So he's got that grinder in him. I think he will be fine in the NFL. I don't think he'll last more than three or four seasons, just like everything else he does. He's yeah. going to put everything into it. But the second – because he's also going to get the quarterback right, I have a feeling, this year, right? Uh, well, well, yeah, I mean, look, it's a done deal. It's going to be Trevor Lawrence. We right. know that. It's so, just the question of who are the Jets going to take. Are they going to take the kid you know, out of BYU or are who, they going to take Justin Fields? Right. But do you remember who Nick Saban's quarterback was in Miami? Nick Saban's quarterback in Miami. You're going back to 2006. Yeah, two thousand and six quarterback is obviously was forgettable. Um, right, that's my point. I I don't know who it is either. Yeah, no, uh, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I do. I, but I he went. Know. But I know, I know Saban went six and ten, and 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 it left a bad taste in his mouth. <laughs> right, and so um, you know, because I think it was what two thousand six season or two thousand five season. Two thousand and six, he went six and ten. He he went to Alabama in two thousand and seven. Yeah. So it, I mean, again, it's. It's not something that that uh, it, was, it was Dante Culpepper. Oh yeah, 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 so, yeah, 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 yeah. Culpepper I mean, on the down. And, and we all know this that the the quarterback is a very so he didn't have a, and he I think he probably figured out you can't win in the NFL if you have a if you don't have the quarterback. That's one thing that Urban Meyer will have from day one. Yes, a young quarterback. Yes, he will. And he won't have to figure that piece out. And the quarterback will be cheap for the first four or five years. So. I think this will be better. I'm not saying he's going to win Super Bowls, but I think he will be a good. They're going to sell tickets. Coach. They're going to sell yeah. some tickets for a couple of years, you know, 
So that'll that'll work out fine for that. But the other jobs that are still available, okay, we talked a little bit about the Chargers and Brian Dayball, who, um, yeah, I would love to see in Philadelphia, quite honestly. He would be my leading guy for the Eagles job simply because what he did with Josh Allen, I think Carson Wentz and Josh Allen have some similar physical traits. And Dayball was the offensive coordinator at Alabama when Jalen Hurts was there. So he has familiarity with the type of quarterback Carson Wentz is, and he has familiarity with J- Jalen Hurts. So I think he would be and – and I love the guy's offense. So I think that he would be a fantastic fit, and that would just about guarantee that Devonta Smith would be their draft pick at number six. Well, it- well, and if you're Brian Day from the Brian Dable point of view, unless it's about a, a couple, you know, a million bucks here, a million bucks there, um, and, and salary, do you? I mean, you. The one thing you have is, is do you go to the Chargers, where you probably have an organization that isn't great, but you do have a young gunslinger. You got right? Justin you Herbert. Don't have yeah. to repair. Well, and but here's the thing: build back up. But the, the, the Eagles, in my opinion, I mean, you're way more close to the Eagles organization than I am, but. They have, a, I think, they have a better organization than the Chargers. Here's the question: better the, fan base, and the thing—it's thing, a, it's a better yeah. opportunity, but is it a, a better quarterback? The, the other thing, the other situation, though, you got to think is Carson Wentz is only a couple of years removed from MVP status. Okay, where did that go wrong? Did that go wrong with Carson Wentz, or did that go wrong with Doug Peterson? And if you look at Wentz and you look at him over the, ever since the injury. The two years that followed the injury, his numbers were not bad at all. This past season, his numbers were horrendous, and he was healthy. And so to me, I look at Doug Peterson, I put the blame firmly on Peterson more so than anything else because Peterson, to me, has shown each year as as progressed since the Super Bowl that he is not the, the, the mastermind or the genius that – he was perceived to be that the loss of Frank Reich along with John DeFilippo really took a toll on the Eagles offense, the imagination behind it, the creativity with it. And so therefore to me and, and Jeffrey Lurie laid it out after their meeting, I didn't like the direction that things were going to go. I didn't like the answers I heard. And so we are going to part ways. Now, one of the names on the list is a familiar name for many people in this area. The Eagles have asked permission to interview Kellen Moore for their head coaching job. Kellen Moore right now, of course, the offensive coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. Many people remember his time as the quarterback of the Prosser Mustangs and also uh, the winningest quarterback in the history of college football, the only one to ever reach 50 wins when he was with Boise State. So... Kellen Moore is on the Eagles' short list for the head coaching job, and he's one of these young guns that it seems to be, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Jason, but this seems to be a trend in the NFL where you are looking at younger guys that have made it to coordinator that have innovative offenses or have the ability to make players that are above average have the ability to make them better through the system. And it seems to be a very attractive thing for teams that are looking to turn their fortunes around quickly with some talent, which is why I think more would not be a bad choice in Philadelphia. Yeah, I think you're right on the trend. The trend seems to be more 
we need to put butts in the seats. We need to have exciting football. We need our fan base engaged. And how do you do that with an exciting offense? Um, you know, the, the Braves pitchers in that famous Nike commercial said it best, chicks dig the long ball. Well, that's kind of how it is in football. You've got to have an offense that can score. And, and I think looking at, you know, the Eagles' opportunity, they had, now they have had, they've, they've really struggled the last couple of years to stay healthy. But, I mean, you're an Eagles fan. You tell me, are you, I mean, you've got a tie, good tight end, one of the best in the, in the NFL. You have, I, I think Miles Sanders is a decent running back. Um, you know, maybe not a top ten running back, but a serviceable one. You've, um, how is that receiving core going to be? Do you draft in that receiving core? Yes. And, <laughs> yes. I mean, you, you have to. I think that's the big. If you look at the two, 2017 team, you know, one of the biggest things, the drop offs, is just weapons. You had Alshon Jeffrey at his best then. Of course, Ertz was doing his thing. Uh, you had Aguilar. Aguilar. You had a. a you had an offensive line that was that was also yeah. healthy. I mean that was that was a big factor, but right. you, you but you also had some guys that stepped up and played out of their minds in 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 the Super Bowl. I mean people forget, and this is the one thing I'll say about Nick Foles. Nick Foles had two great games in his career. Well, three. One was when he threw seven touchdowns against the Oakland Raiders with Andy Reid, and the other two games were the NFC Championship game and the Super Bowl. But leading up to that, the end of that season, people were scared to death with him behind center. I mean, they won. They beat Atlanta because Julio Jones didn't bring a ball down in bounds. Right. So, so Nick, Nick, Nick Foles has always been great at the long ball, throwing deep passes. Yes, Nick I Foles has been fantastic at throwing deep balls, and he's he's great at a play action, get the ball deep. He's never been a great between the twenties. You know, get first downs. You know, I would call it an Alex Smith kind of a quarterback who's. You know, we'll get you into field goal range every time, <laughs> um, but maybe not getting you in the end zone. Right. But Nick Foles has always struggled with that, but he's always been able to hit the long ball. And I, that game, he hit the long ball a lot um, in that Super Bowl. And just, like you said, played out of his mind. Jeffrey, the, the deep plays down the field, Ertz. It just it kind of all clicked for them, cause they, and they had a decent defense. But they just had, they don't have those weapons or that line since. Oh, that's without question. Uh, that's without question. And but at the same time, you've also, as you said, you've seen the drop off in weapons. Uh, I still don't understand the the Jalen Rager draft pick or, or, or selection when you had Jefferson and you had Ceedee Lamb and you had a number of other guys on there. They pick the the guy that does the least. Um, it just again, but that comes back to Peterson. That comes back to Howie Roseman, who. You know, I thought should have been fired too, but he wasn't. Um, but look, you, you got one one situation there. But Kellen Moore linked to that job. He'll interview with Philadelphia uh, to go in there. And quite honestly, I think he could be a difference maker when it comes to uh, Carson Wentz's future as well. Back with more of the locker room after this. Back in the locker room, News Radio 610 K1A presented by Jason Hogue, agent with American Family Insurance. You can visit Jason's website, set up an appointment today, jasonhogue.com. Billy Rob Jason with you on this Saturday morning. And um, the other two teams, of course, that are looking for head coaches still in the NFL, Jason, are the Houston Texans and the Detroit Lions. Uh, Houston Texans recently getting a public black eye from. 
uh, not just Deshaun Watson, but also former players Andre Johnson, DeAndre Hopkins, and Arian Foster. And apparently they, they may not be as great of an organization as the perception is out there. And, of course, we know the Lions are the Lions. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And the Chargers, of course, uh, looking for their new head coach as well as we head into the weekend where that could have an impact as um, Brandon Staley, the defense coordinator for the Rams, is on some team short lists. He has been um, the the Texans and the Eagles have asked to interview him. Now, of course, that is the first game on the docket today. 135 is the expected kickoff. That game on Fox and it is a matchup of two of the, as we talked about, the young guns in head coaching ranks in the NFL, Sean McVay with the Rams and Matt LaFleur with the Packers. Uh, Should be an interesting game, Jason. Should be a really interesting game. As uh, Yeah, I I agree. I think they're all going to be really interesting. This is – I don't think there's going to be a dud in the bunch – um, honestly, well, I think mean, Kansas City and Cleveland has a chance to be yeah. a dud, but right. Well, being the homer, I didn't want to say that. I was going to let you say that. Yeah, uh, but... well, I did. So there you go. <laughs> but I think that one could be that one could be one. a blowout by the second quarter. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think there was a lot. I think a lot of people are, you know, high on Cleveland because of what happened in the Pittsburgh game. But that, I think that was a more of a Pittsburgh problem. Yeah, Pittsburgh um, kind of self destructed a little but the, bit. But the, but the Breeze Rogers matchup. I'm sorry the the the, the Breeze Brady matchup. Yes, is be very exciting. Yes, because all bets are off in that one. I mean, it's the playoffs, so all bets are off when TB12 gets into uh, the postseason. And you know, Drew Breeze has had a had a had a fine postseason career, but not nearly one that compares to Tom Brady. And, uh, well, and I, so, some, sometimes watching those guys, it's funny, especially Breeze. You just don't. You're wondering, like he almost. I feel like he throws the ball before the like two or three seconds before the guy breaks and just hopes he he, he breaks the way that they think because the ball just, <laughs> I feel like it's a knuckleball just floating in you know I mean I feel I mean it's it's always getting like it, it's not quite Peyton Manning bad like his last year where he right. didn't throw it beyond like 12 yards uh, but it's it's rough and it's it's amazing to me what Sean Payton's done with that team with Drew Brees with half half the arm he used to have you know, it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, you know, I, I can remember as towards the end of Peyton Manning's career, wanting to watch every single Brady Manning matchup I could, knowing that there were not going to be, you know, many more. Um, and, and just watching the two of them, those two teams go at each other. It, it was always, you're watching the two best quarterbacks in the game, period. Um, you know, Breeze and Brady, it's a little bit of a different different scenario. Um, but I will definitely be looking forward to that game tomorrow. Um, as, you know, will Tom Brady continue the postseason magic? I mean, Antonio Brown has been a uh, has been a boost for them. And, He's been a difference maker. Oh, he absolutely has been. And look, let's be honest, Brady, Brady, whatever the connection was between Brady and Brown in New England, Brady has continued to be an advocate for Antonio Brown, and he got what he wanted, him in Tampa Bay, and you've already seen the payoff. Um, it's another weapon for Tom Brady. 
and a guy he knows and is familiar with. And look, if Mike Evans can't go tomorrow, Antonio Brown's going to get a lot of looks, and it seems like he's ready for it. So, you know, that game has the potential to end differently than the two regular season matchups uh, between Brady and Brees did, where New Orleans won both of those games. But, you know, to me, the game, I think the game is going to be the Rams and the Packers because that Rams defense, yes, is going to have a task in front of it, but that Rams defense is better than people are giving it credit for. And Jalen Ramsey has just been unbelievable the last five, six games of the season. Yeah, that that's going to be the matchup because basically Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald are a two-man wrecking crew. Um, Aaron Donald is probably the is going to go down as the best interior defensive lineman, pass rushing defensive lineman, maybe overall in history interior lineman. I mean, he's that strong. He's that quick. He's he's a freak show. And his ability to disrupt the pocket is, I don't think there's his equal or has ever been his equal from, from the interior. And Jalen Ramsey has been able the last several weeks to just lock down the other team's top receiver. And we've seen Devontae Adams go crazy the last few. Can Green Bay either get Devonte Adams open, whether it's motion, switching things off, can they disrupt that, or can they find other outlets? Can they run the ball? Can they find their, um, you know, their secondary targets? That will be interesting to see. My concern with the Rams is is not the defense; it's can they score any points? Well, that's correct. That is going to be the big tell. It's go- it's not going to be the Rams' defense that's going to cost them this game. It's going to be you know if there is an inability to score. And while Jared Goff is coming off the thumb injury and he came in against Seattle last week and led the Rams to a victory, um, you know, the Packers' defense isn't bad at all. And so it's going to be the Rams' ability to put points on the board that's going to make a difference. But if the Rams' defense can lock down Adams and frustrate Aaron Rodgers, because Rodgers, yes, is still mobile, but he's not as mobile as he was. So, you know, can that defense, particularly that front four, create the kind of havoc on Aaron Rodgers that will frustrate him? And we know, look, Rodgers is no different than Favre in this regard. When he gets frustrated, he makes mistakes. Yeah, I I think this game plan for the Rams is going to have to be a similar game plan or a similar formula that allowed Cleveland to beat Pittsburgh. Yes. The defense, you're going to have to be plus two at least in the turnover margin, I think. Um, If not plus three, you're going to have to, you know, create a lot of havoc because I just don't see the Rams getting to 21 points without a defensive score or return, something, you know, or some really, really short fields. I just don't see the Rams getting there, um, to be honest. I mean, they – and where I see Green Bay, even against a good defense, getting to 20, 24. So can the Rams somehow – I don't see them, the Packers being shut down to like seven, six, you know, 15, 14, 17. I still see it happening. But maybe the quarterbacks in, L- in L.A. are better than I think they are right now. It'll be interesting to see. The, the, the one that's going to be the most intriguing – well, the one that's going to be also very intriguing to me is going to be Buffalo and Baltimore later yeah, on tonight. later on today. And uh, the Bills are uh, – first of all, 
When was the last time Buffalo and Cleveland won a playoff game in the same year? 88? Has it ever happened? I mean, really, has it it ever happened that Buffalo and Cleveland won a playoff game in the same year? But Buffalo, to me, is, is the best story of the season. I think the Bills are just, they're fantastic to watch. Their secondary is is right up there with the Rams. Sean McDermott has done a great job building this defense. I mean, they they are, I think the Bills are probably the most unheralded team in the playoffs because I think they are much better than people are giving them credit for. Josh Allen has taken a lot of steps forward. Stephon Diggs has been exactly what they needed on offense to to help get them over the hump. Um, I think Buffalo has as good a chance of making it to the AFC Championship game as anybody. I mean, they, I think they're that good, and I think Baltimore, I, you know, I like Lamar Jackson, but, man, I just don't think they've got enough to win this game. Well, to, to, in, to your point, Rob, to, there's multiple ways the Bills can win a playoff, a football game. And usually the teams that, that survive through the playoffs are teams that are built and are good enough to play that 17-14 game, or they can win the shootout. They can kind of win multiple ways. And there are also teams that are explosive enough to withstand a not-perfect game. And Buffalo has, enough, has the weapons on offense with Allen, with Diggs. You mentioned all those guys. That they 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 can put up twenty one points in a quarter if they need to, but they can also run the ball a little bit with Allen and some bootlegs and whatever. If you need to grind out a win, they can do that too. So I think they're one of the few teams that is that, and with the way Allen's potential, I'm not saying he's as good as Rodgers or Brady or Patrick Mahomes, but he can on any given day go toe to toe with those guys as far as playmaking. I don't know that um, the Ravens can do that. The Ravens have to win a specific kind of football game. And if they get the game in their world where they're pressuring the quarterback, slowing the game down, limiting possessions, able to control the game with their running and their little dumps to Andrews and, you know, Lamar around the outside, you know, for runs, they can't, they, they'll also win. But that's a specific kind of game that they need to play to win, where I think Buffalo can win multiple ways. And even they can win the game if the Ravens control it. They can still win it because of Allen and the playmakers. And, and look, let's face it, who doesn't want to see Buffalo win just so we can see more videos of their fans putting each other through flaming tables well, yeah, in the well, snow? And, and I think the Bills are kind of what the – like. a lot of people aren't a fans of the Chiefs now because they've won for a couple years in a row. But back when Patrick Mones was a, you know, kind of a known commodity and they were going after the big, bad New England Patriots – the, the nation, because as a Chiefs fan, I felt like the whole you know country was cheering for us, except a few people up in um, you know Clam Chowderville. So um, they, they they and I think Buffalo's kind of turned into that nationally, where this is a, a historic franchise that's got great fans in a small market that we don't see win a lot. That they and they're young and they're fun, 
and we enjoy it. Well, and, so, let's, and let's face it, you know as well as I do, they make it to the AFC Championship game, and the whole storyline is going to be four straight Super Bowl losses. Jim yes. Kelly, Thurman Thomas, Bruce Smith couldn't get the Bills over the hump. Can this brash group of upstarts led by Josh Allen get the job done? I mean, that that's going to be the entire storyline well, for the whole thing. Well, and not, not just that, in the storyline in Kansas City, being a Chiefs fan, is going to be you remember how these guys beat the hell out of us every year and, and wouldn't let Marty Schottenheimer go to the, the Super Bowl? Because that's Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas were the kryptonite of those Marty Schottenheimer teams well, sure. early on and just destroyed them. And so for us, we, the Chief fans, we're wanting payback from, you know, those early, late 80s, early 90s teams. Well, and of course, you know, if we remember correctly, that last Buffalo Super Bowl, uh, Dallas actually created Spygate. Um <laughs> You know, Bill Belichick gets blamed for it, but we all know the camera was under the bench while the Bills were working on that play that had never been executed during the season. And all of a sudden, Dallas had a way to stuff it out every single time the formation was there. Interesting. But that that notwithstanding, uh, it should be a good weekend of games. I, 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 I like the Rams, the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Buccaneers. That's just me. Who are you for, Jason? I like the, I like the, the Packers, the Bills, the Chiefs, and the Bucs as well. All right, that'll do it. We'll talk to you next week. Up next, Around the House with Eric G.